Mike Sims is with us, Associate Professor in the Department of Commercial Law at the University of Auckland Business School, an expert on blockchain technology, copyright law and consumer law. Thanks very much for your time, Alex. Much appreciated. Good morning, uh, Catherine. It's a heck of a tale, the Sam Bankman-Fried trial. It will no doubt spawn a numerous number of miniseries. Uh, but talk us through from the perspective of the technology, the platform um, side of things, rather than the side scandals, perhaps. Just what we've learned, Alex, from this trial. Well, if people... Well, the, the trial was um, Sam Bankman-Fried. I'll just call him SBF, that's quicker. So... He was the CEO of FTX, which was, at the time, the second largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world. And it just spectacularly collapsed. Uh, It was one of the quickest downfalls. Um, What had happened was Coindesk, which was a cryptocurrency media company, had published a a story about another organisation. And the thing was... FTX and Almeida, the other organization, were joined at the hip. And basically, they raised real questions about the assets of Almeida. And when people saw that, some of them realized the very close association. And two weeks later, FTX was um, bankrupt. And what had happened was they think there's about $8, million, $8 billion outstanding so people that had their um, assets in FTX have lost them. They're very likely to get them back. And so long end of the story is that um, SBF was finally ended up in, um, he was in court just over, well, there's been a court case going on for a while. Just over a week ago came the verdict and he was found um, guilty of eight charges, which included wire fraud securities and things like that. And he is facing up to 115 years in prison. But that's only one of the court cases that's going to occur. Um, So I guess the the question is, um, what does this mean for the future of um, cryptocurrencies? Well, one thing is, this is actually a a good cautionary tale because it's not just about cryptocurrency exchanges. So there are a lot of VCs and other people that had put money, that had backed FTX. People were talking about him. He was on the stage with Bill Clinton um, and other people. There were all these people fawning over him, saying he was a genius, he was the legend and things like that. Um, and he wasn't. And it's a bit like Elizabeth um, Holmes with Theranos. So they have this aura about them. And the, the really sort of frustrating thing is, is that people that should have done due diligence. So the VCs and other people who went and used it, put the money in and, and pumped all this up, they didn't do their due diligence. And other people seeing that the VCs were there thought, oh, well, they must be okay. Venture capitalist, that is. And it's a cautionary tale again because uh, the the cryptocurrency, which is a mystery still to so many people, uh, it goes to show it is not just a a new product or service necessarily where people have these blind spots. Um, The Theranos is a really good example. Maybe it's a chance just to talk through what FTX actually was, what a cryptocurrency exchange actually is, what it does. Okay, um, well, there's different types. So the one that FTX was, was FTX, if you had an account with FTX, you put your money in and then you can trade. So you trade different cryptocurrencies and they would be on on the um, 
on FTX exchange and your money would be there. And so people quite rightly thought that if their money was, if it was saying they had cryptocurrency there, it actually was there. But the issue was, was a lot of it wasn't there. That was then with that other company, Almeida, which should not have been happening. So the, the money wasn't there. Um, but the other type of cryptocurrency exchange is one where it doesn't hold the their customers' assets. So it's, it's what we call a non-custodial. And so that's just where you go and buy the cryptocurrency and, and the exchange sends it to you and you hold it. So that there are, so we've got to be really careful that, that people are talking about the same thing because they are all very different. Alameda, you were mentioning earlier, joined at the hip, um, and this was a, a different kind of firm that he had co-founded back in 2017, yeah? Yes. Yeah. And, it's, and so, it's, how did it make its money? Well, the trouble was it wasn't making money because it was these were these so-called financial whiz kids, but it was just hemorrhaging money. And so FTX kept on, kept on giving it more money. It was doing really bad trades. So it was meant to be a hedge fund, but it was losing money. Um, so it, it wasn't working. And also it was meant to be completely separate, but it wasn't. The, the CEO of, of Alameda was, was living and working in the same place that SBF was working. Um, and what was really interesting is that but a venture capitalist and other people, some of them, who looked at it, when they realised what was going on, they walked away, you know, from it. I mean, things like FTX did not have a board. There was no oversight of anything. So it was, I think it was, yeah, the people, you know, the law of, you know, FOMO missing out and all these cryptocurrencies are very hard to understand. It's just basic financial, um, you know, governance was just not looked at at all. There's another matter going on here, which is the power and influence that infects much of the United States, uh, frankly, not just the United States, but particularly does there. And um, he was what is called Sam Bankman-Fried, an effective altruist. <laughs> Could you explain more? Okay. Um, well, effective altruist or effective altruism is this thing, I think it came from the United States, where they say that... if if you're going to give money, you you need to give it somewhere which has the maximum effect. Because some, there's some charities that uh, maybe don't do as much as they could. But he sort of took it a sort of step further and thought that he would, if he could make as much money as he could, and then he could use that for good. So his stick basically was to make easy money in um, cryptocurrency um, trading and then give that away. Um, but also, and you're alluding this, to this before, I think, is that um, Sam Bankman-Fried also very generously, basically with his customers' money, gave massive donations to the um, politicians in the US. And so it, they're not quite sure how much he gave, but he, he's said he's given about $40 million to um, in the US to, um, to the Democrats. But also he's reported as saying that he gave about the same amount to the Republicans but he didn't want to be seen to be given money to the Republicans because that wasn't a good look. So he he um, gave it to people apparently using other people's names, which actually is not a very good thing to do. That's actually breaching a whole lot of laws in the US. And he's going to be in court um, potentially next year for those charges as well. So what was supposed to be happening was that FTX was supposed to be holding 
the crypto. Uh, but what was happening was that Alameda was not transferring it to FTX. It was busy trading it and in, in, in losing it to the tune of $8 billion. What are the what are the lessons for people who want to keep investigating crypto, um, having it as at least part of their investment policy? What are the takeouts from this? Well, the, the golden rule is you never put anything in that you're not prepared to lose. Also, um, there are those different types of cryptocurrency exchanges I said before. This Potentially the safest way is to hold the cryptocurrency yourself. I mean, there are risks there. You can forget your private key and things like that. But someone's still digging up a dump somewhere. Which country is that guy still (laughs) digging up a dump trying to find his crypto key? It's in the UK. Yeah. Um, But also, there are are ways of sort of mitigating this. But this is always a problem. There's a saying, you know, not your keys, not your crypto. And this is a a really good um, example of this. But also, it's just this thing, this sort of fear of missing out. I mean... No, I, I mean, I've sort of, I keep on going on about this, I'm like a broken record, that if people are really, really want to make money in things, actually learn about blockchain, crypto, Web3, and get a job in the area, okay? That's a, that's a much better plan than to get some quick money because we've seen people just get burned all the time. Chat GPT, as we um, get used, I guess, to its presence, uh, are enough companies and organisations getting used enough to its presence? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Um, so one of the issues with ChatGPT is that, and this has happened, um, people and organizations are putting in confidential information. Um, for example, Samsung caught out with that about a new product, you know, um, and once it goes into ChatGPT, then that information is part of the corpus of knowledge, and then it can be got out by somebody else later on which is which has you know confidential information is being leaked so you've got to be extraordinarily careful and also you can't if you're in a if you're in a company is not to put any information about your customers and especially not their their names any personal information so it's really 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 important and in fact a lot of organizations won't let people do that which I'll come on to another point in a, in a second. Um, there are, if, if you are a bigger company, um, as I said, they're not letting it, or they've got their own versions, which is effectively firewalled. Okay? So that information can't go out, which is a very good um, thing to do. But my th- this leads on to the third point I wanted to talk about today, is that every organization needs an AI policy. And so that is a policy that sets out very clearly what you can and what you cannot do. And I've given a few presentations about AI and things. And one of the questions that I ask is I say, right, who here, whose organization here has an AI policy? And there's only been one or two people who put their hands up. So you're looking at, um, and there's up to to 100 people in the room, which is a staggeringly low number. Uh, So and, and yes, it's going to take a bit of time. And this also needs to go right up to the top, to the board. The board needs to um, think about this. So what do you, what, what do you, how are you going to use it? But also another quick um, thing with this, because I'm grappling with um, ChatGPT all the time as an academic um, with our students, is that you also, you don't want to be encouraging people to be using a Chat, Chat GPT 
too much because, as we all know, it spits out this wonderful looking stuff on the surface. But when you start to dig into it, it's not very good. It's too general. It's often wrong, all these problems. And so if you are at the board and you're accepting these nicely looking reports, and if they're generated by ChatGPT, that's really, really bad. You want to start asking questions, digging into it, and don't just say, oh, well, this is wonderful. Gosh, you've prepared this report for me in one day, when it's physically impossible for someone to do that. So it, it, it is a brave new world. But, you know, I, I genuinely have been shocked at the um, sort of the almost non-existence of AI's uh, policies Do you know where this really got brought home to me was when I was looking for a, a tribute to someone who died. So, you know, you Google get tributes.co.nz or what the local paper is carrying of uh, their family's um, de- you know, the death notice. And I realised that some presumably chat GPT function out there is busy mapping together obituaries. And I found the correct name and reference to the person and where they lived in New Zealand. But the rest of the obituary was about someone with the same name in the United States who died about 2016. I mean, this is awful. <laughs> it's, just, um, it's just extraordinary. And, and, and this is another matter of the scraping of information without a human context at, at this stage. I was curious, Alex, if you could comment also, the BBC blocking chat GPT maker from using its content. Um, it's kind of another worry, isn't it? And, and, and this sort of leads to the whole where does journalism sit in this brave new world? If if credible fact-checking news media sites are not allowing chat, chat GPT access to content, is that again skewing what chat GPT will be scanning and processing? Yes, I mean, there is that... Uh that issue um i mean we've had this problem of course with facebook so yeah oh it's big yeah 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 yeah. and it's but it's like it's a dual-edged sword isn't it because people will then go to that website um and not so yeah i don't know i mean yes it it is a potential issue i suppose google's matured to the point where it's got so much content now and, and, and again, my understanding is simplistic, but it has got so many sources as well as a fairly sophisticated algorithm. ChatGPT, one wonders if it's still a bit random, or I don't know if it can hoover up information at a speed that's caught it up. But the obituary situation just blew my mind. And then I tried it with several different names, and it was just all over the shop. Yes, I mean, this is the problem, because i dealing with this almost a daily basis is that it looks on the surface fine. As soon as you do any looking below, it's not it, it doesn't work at all. And in fact, I just don't even bother using it for when I write to even help summarize something because it's it's that bad. And my my worry is just people are I mean we're hardwired as humans to take shortcuts. Yep. Okay, we are. We would not be here as a species. And too many people are using this as as shortcut. And it's got to the end that point now if you suspect something's being written by chat gpt is that i wouldn't even look at it now because it's worthless so it's pretty awful have, writing yes. still too although it may get better but sometimes you look at this and you say either a five-year-old's written this or a or chat gpt has but it will this is this is what inevitably happens with machine learning with ai it will get better and harder oh, to discern 
It, it definitely will get better. Um, but my worry is the damage that it's doing in the meantime yeah. for people. Just They're not learning enough, especially the students, because it's just too easy to use it. Heuristics, is that's what it calls, the shortcut that we take um, to save time? I think it's heuristics. Anyway, Alex, I really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Alex Sims, Associate Professor in the Department of Commercial Law at the University of Auckland Business School and an expert on blockchain technology, copyright law and consumer law.